fatherhood. It's how we keep our tribes and families strong. You've landed in the right place if you're ready for dad jokes, tips, and tricks on fun parenting. Also with interviews with some of the coolest dad entrepreneurs we could track down and have them share their strategies to tackling it all in business and life on The Dad Next Door. And now, your host, Mr. Dad Jokes himself, <laughs> Jason Centeno. Have your girls ever called you a superhero? Yes, of course, man. I miss those days. They're growing up now, man. I'm not as super as I used to be. I have teenagers now. Is it mostly like scowls and, oh, dad, you're corny, stuff like that? Uh, sometimes, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still a pretty cool dad. I have to remind them about that. I got a little bit even more swag than they have. <laughs> you got to bust out some Champa Bay on them, drop mics and all that. Be like, you don't yeah, yeah. You go for this. Battle me. You ever tell them to battle you? See what happens? Uh, you know, let them know I got that Philly flavor and, and they only, you know, they're from Tampa. They're, they're <laughs> They're Tampa babies, man. They grew up here. So some of you guys know my story. Retired firefighter, adopted a bunch of kids, moved to Tampa. And I'm out here, you know, helping people make apps and helping young entrepreneurs and businesses and and all this other stuff, right? And then, you know, Pastor, Pastor Tommy, he's not just a pastor in the sense of like, I know all pastors. Well, that, that's I guess that's part of the discussion, right? Like people don't realize like there are the big church pastors that are kind of like that, that's all you know about them. But the majority of pastors are out there doing side work, side hustles. They they do that to support their ministry, either as they're coming into ministry or throughout it to keep the support coming in because they don't want to necessarily put that load on their convocation. They're doing it out of the love, but obviously they still got to live and eat. I really want to dig deep into that because people forget, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. He has some skills. Paul made tents. Like everybody did this stuff. But we don't talk about it that much. We just kind of talk about the gospel and, and what they were out there sharing the word. But what, what was happening between the lines? Like when they weren't writing, when they weren't talking, what was what was going on there? Like, you know, I always found that interesting, uh, especially because, you know, my dad was a pastor. Yeah, PKs, you know how that is. They're either awesome and, and very solid people or they're- We're the rebels. <laughs> yeah, it can go either way. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it depends who you ask on how I was, but that's neither here nor there. Talk to me about like- your journey to Tampa because you did, you know, you went to seminary and all that, but as you did that, like when you, when you were called to Tampa, when would you, when did you become the recording artist? When did you start doing the music and all that? Like, was that during seminary after, like, when did that, all that start to come into play? And now you're like a TV star on Amazon with like, like acting accolades and you got all kind of stuff going on. So what, what was the beginning of that journey for you? And then, you know, how did that, how did you transition into that, that entrepreneurship mode? Yeah, well, I, I'd say really the entrepreneur vein started, you know, in me when I was like 10. So, you know, growing up in Philly, man, your shoe game is serious, you know, and my parents were buying me shoes at Kmart, you know, instead of Adidas with the three stripe, I had. They were called like the K-Tracks, four stripes on them. And so all the kids were clowning me and then I had these other shoes that had no name on them at all. And they said they were Bobos. I'm like, no, they're not. They ain't got no name. They're not Bobos. They're like, that's what Bobos are. So, you know, they were, they were just dogging me. So I'm like, I want to get some Nikes. You know, so I came home, told my parents and my, my pops was like a pastor of a small urban church. Like, how much some Nikes cost? I'm like, like 35. You know, this was back then, right? He's like, man, them sneakers are they're the same thing as the ones we get you at Kmart for nine dollars. I'm like, no, they're not, you know. And so it was just like, listen, if you want to get those Nikes, you gotta get you gotta figure out how to get the money yourself because we ain't got the money like that. 
to waste on that, right? So what did I do? I said, all right, I'm going to find some way I can get $35, pull your weeds or break your leaves or shovel snow or wash your car, or cut your grass, you know? So I was just like trying to do whatever I could and started, ended up starting this lawn business and ended up having about, you know, 12, 13 customers. And I was making pretty decent money as just, you know, 11, 12 year old. By that time I kept building it. And so I always had that entrepreneurial like side, you know, and, I, and I'm grateful for it that I didn't have everything handed to me. It created this hustle inside of me. So fast forward to I'm, I'm in Bible college seminary and uh, I'm in I'm in Florida. I transferred from Philly to Florida, met my wife. She's from New York City. And I grew up around Philly hip hop culture. I loved it. I was rapping since I was in middle school on the bus in high school. I rapped in some talent shows. I rapped at church a couple of times. But anyways, in college, I I started a rap group and we were actually going into juvenile detention centers and youth groups and outreaches and we were rapping. And so I was writing the songs. I was kind of organizing everything, getting the beats. I'd go back up to Philly on my breaks and I would buy the, the maxi single, the cassette of local Philly groups that had the instrumental on it. I come back to Florida and nobody heard that beat. So they would think it was my beat. Right. That was before we had YouTube and SoundCloud and you can get beats for free all day and find stuff. Right. But you had to get like a tape cassette. Me and my wife thought we were going to go back up north. But he opened up this door at this little church in Tampa called Crossover that had just started and they needed a youth pastor. And so, believe it or not, man, it was the first pastor, the founding pastor. His name's Joe. And he's the one that encouraged me to start recording. I was so naive to the music industry. I'd recorded some stuff in my friend's little bedroom studio. But he was like, you need to make an album. I'm like, well, how am I going to make an album? I'm not signed. He said, you don't need to be signed. You just need to go rent some studio time and get somebody to make some some beats for you, some production. And I was like, really? You could do that? I didn't know you could rent studio time. Huh. And so this light went on over my head, the entrepreneurial light of like, man, I could just do this myself and make independent music. And I started researching about it. And a couple of weeks later, I met a guy that made beats. And so he did all the beats for me for my first album. I had the idea in January from my pastor. By July, I was releasing my first album on cassette. Cassette, baby. And then like I sold all 300 cassettes. I've ordered a 300 cassette package, you know, from the printers. I sold all of them within three months. I saved all that money. I went back in the studio, did some remixes and a new song. Came out with the deluxe version on CD. You know, because if you had a CD, you know, you were legit, even as an indie, like, oh, my gosh, you got a CD because CDs were expensive to produce back then. And you couldn't just do 100 or 300. I think you had to do at least 500 or 1000. So anyways, I released two independent albums, 96, 98. And then one of my songs got put on a compilation and started popping on some online charts and I had some record labels calling and I got signed to my first record deal in 1999, man. But even as an independent artist, I was busy. I was doing five, six, seven concerts per month here locally in, in Tampa Bay and Florida. Word was spreading and I'm going to concerts and youth group events and all kinds of things. And I was busy and I'm selling my cassettes at my table. I'm selling them out my trunk. I had some T-shirts. You know, I, I was just always hustling and that provided for me to be the youth pastor at the church because the church really wasn't able to pay me much at all because it was a small urban church even though the youth ministry suddenly it grew we had all these kids 
you know, obviously those kids don't have any money. And so I started, you know, just getting out there and actually taking a lot of the kids with me um, to concerts. And some of the kids were, I was teaching them how to rap and some of them were dancers and some of them started DJing. And so I would bring like a whole squad with me everywhere I went and they just loved it, man. It was great discipleship opportunities. You gravitated towards being a youth pastor because you were deep in the music like that. And you kind of just was like, I want to plant my flag here because this is my audience anyway, or, and kind of got satisfied with that because like, that was what was driving your success. And I guess you can say how you were sustaining yourself because that seems like a logical path. Like, Hey, if you're doing music, kids like music, I should be the youth pastor because then I could do music and that drew, brings them in. And it's kind of like a nice I guess, swirl of activity or just, just you're, you're reaching your core audience. Yeah, that's what made you like really popular. The fact that you kind of just stayed in that lane, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say, yeah, that was my plan. It was my strategy. But uh, when I was did my first year of ministry, I mean, my first year of college up in up in Philly, I actually went to Valley Forge Christian College. It was in the suburbs of Philly, Valley Forge University. Now, Um, a friend of mine was a senior and he had just started youth pastoring at a church and he was still in school. And it was in the city. And he's like, man, I need you to come and help me in the youth ministry. A lot of these kids are from the city and you would understand them. And me, I'm from the suburbs and I just need you to come and be a youth leader. So I started going every Wednesday night and man, I just fell in love with it and and uh, with, with the kids. And I just was like, man, I could do this. Like, and I'm making a difference in these kids' lives and they relate to me, they connect with me. And they didn't even know really that I did music because I don't even think I did any music at that youth service. But um, then I felt a call to do youth ministry in an urban environment. And so then as I transferred to college, you know, down in Florida, then I started doing music even more. And and then I really made the connection between the two. I think that one of the big connection points was I was doing the juvenile detention center ministry where I'd go in every Monday night uh, and different people would come in and share their testimonies the drama team came in from the college. A singing group came in from the college, um, you know, and the kids would be like, that's nah, all right. But then me and my friends started this rap group. We rapped one week and shared our story. And the kids were like, you know, and I was just like, wow, look at this. This this worked like 20 times better than anybody else coming in and doing anything. Like, this is a powerful tool. <laughs> so that's when I really started to marry the two together, like, you know, youth ministry and speaking. Uh, with, you know, rapping and music. And so when I came to Tampa and started the youth ministry, yeah, music was a big part of it, music and sports. So I was always into basketball. And so we started a basketball league and then we connected that with concerts and even like the basketball league we started and we had a big party, a pizza party at the church that the whole basketball league was invited to. And I spoke, shared my story and I rapped. So all the kids were like, oh my gosh, he raps. And he's the basketball coach. This is crazy. And we got free pizza, you know. And so the youth ministry just, you know, exploded with growth because the kids could, you know, connect with me in a lot of ways. And so then, yeah, music just became that natural fit of like, man, all this flows together. This is who I am. Basketball, hip hop, Jesus. Like, I want to reach these kids. Did and you ever, this great stuff that took place. Did you ever try to like... um pull it like uh, you were you ever led to like oh, I should do a label and 
oh, I should do like these, I should be like the Rockefeller. I should just put this whole crew of people together. Did any other like musicians come up kind of under that era with you that you kind of? Kind of an artist collective. And it was called Flavor Alliance. At first it was Flavor Records. And then, you know, it wasn't really a real record label in the sense that we were signing people. So we called ourselves Flavor Records. The first couple of years, FLA, you know, because it was Florida. And uh, it was 90s. Flavor was a big word, you know, back then. Um, but then we uh, just started calling it Flavor Alliance. And we just, you know, groups from the church, different artists. So where we had about 10 groups that were part of it. And then we actually did get a label deal. And uh, we did sign a couple of groups. We signed four groups. And that was like around 2005. There was a lot of other big la uh, labels talking to me about starting a label as well. So there was just a lot of opportunities, but we did end up signing with a, dis a distributor and we signed four groups and we had a, a, a business guy. So I was kind of like the, the name and the marketing guy. Uh, then we had another guy, there's three of us. The other guy was like, he did all the graphics. He was the graphic guru and created the look for it. And he was just a genius at it. He was, he still does all, most of all my artwork today. And then the other guy was this older white guy. I was like 60 years old and he just loved us and he believed in us and he was the business guy. He put the money in. And so basically that was to pay for the printing of the albums that the four groups that we signed. And then the distributor, they ordered like, okay, we want 1500 CDs of this album. We want 2000 of this one. We had to ship it out to the stores and uh, iTunes was just starting. So there was a little bit of digital sales, but most of it was still physical. And uh, it was really, it, it was a hard system to get ahead in because it, so let's say you shipped 2000 units out. If, if they didn't sell, if you didn't market to let people know about that album that was in the stores, it would get returned and they charged you for the return. And it was basically about $2 per album if it was returned. So if you sold 500 units and 1,500 got returned and they charge you $2 per unit, that was $3,000 that they charged against your account. And so, you know, so it was hard to get ahead. And so, you know, wow. we only did that for a little while and then we're like, yeah, this is this is not working. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to run a church. I ain't got time to run this label that's, you know, floundering. And some of the artists that we signed, to be honest with you, they just weren't, they weren't serious. They weren't pushing their album themselves. They weren't getting out. They weren't doing shows. And we were kind of doing all the heavy lifting. And so we were just like, ah, yeah. Did you ever get connected to anybody that was, I guess, secular artists at the time or people that may have crossed over like Mace or somebody like that? Did, did any of that ever happen for you? Because I mean, you know, every, every once in a while people rub yeah. shoulders hear about each other. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to meet Mace uh, at an event when he was became Minister Mace. But I'll be honest with you, man. I was skeptical. Um, you know, anyways, that's another story. I did get to meet uh, KRS-One. And, you know, if you grew up in hip hop in the 80s or 90s, he was like, you know, the teacher, the lyricist, uh, Boogie Down Productions. I used to have a lot of his stuff. He actually came to Crossover in 2008. And we put on like a meeting with some local hip hop leaders in the, in the Tampa community. And so he got to come to the church and I gave him a tour. We got to chop it up for a minute. That was really cool. You know, praying for him. He's still like, he's got a whole bunch of spiritual beliefs, Christianity mixed with like 25 other things. Kid in Play. Um, I've been friends with Play for over 20 years. And Play is a solid believer in Jesus. 
And um, he's been to crossover several times to share his testimony and story in, in the TV show that I recently did called Church Folks. And so that was like an honor to be active with play. I would have never imagined like, if I'm, I'm watching House Party back in the 90s with you, Jay. We're watching House Party. You would have told me you're going to act with this guy someday. And by the way, I had the honor and the privilege to be able to baptize play in 2015 at Crossover. And so that was really a special moment. So you mentioned the show. So is he the one that brought you into that? And then you said it's an, an Amazon and some other places into that church show? Yeah. So the guy who produces the show was actually coming across over church. And so, you know, our church has a lot of creatives and entrepreneurs. Well, we don't, so, so we don't lose anybody. What's the name of the, what was the name of the show? And where is it? That way we can give us yeah, some yeah. The show is called Church Folks and it's available on Amazon Prime. And I think it's, it's also available on Tubi. And uh, it's one season that's out. It's six episodes. And we're supposed to be filming the second season coming up this summer. And it's supposed to be out later in the fall, like like before Christmas. So uh, so Play is in it from Kid and Play, Christopher Martin. And uh, Dorian Wilson, the Parkers, if you remember that TV show, he played uh, Professor Ogilvy. So uh, it was a man, it was an honor to be able to act with a couple of those guys who are, you know, pros. Me, I'm just like, I'm not even trying to be an actor, but I'm invited to be on the pilot with the guy from my church writing this script. And he had, he had done a couple other movies. My daughter acted in some of his movies before. And I actually had two scenes in one of his movies. So I'm like, okay, I played a parole officer, checked it off my bucket list. Cool, I did some acting, it was fun. But I never thought I would really like pursue it or do much more. But he hit me up and he said, hey man, I'm doing this, this uh, pilot for a TV show called Church Folks. And I got a role for you. I'd love for you to play this associate pastor. It's just a couple lines. And I'm like, all right, cool, send it to me. So I looked at it and I was like, all right, this looks cool and plays in it, man, that would be really cool. So I was really doing it to go see play and hang out with him. I get there and play had already left. He filmed the day before. It was like a two day filming thing. So I'm like, ah, I missed play and get to see him. So the main guy I'm acting with, you know, I met him. I'm like, man, I know this guy. He was playing the lead pastor. I'm the associate. So I'm like, is he, is he a pastor at a church that I've spoke at before? Has he been to crossover to Flavor Fest, the conference we do? I, I, where I couldn't put my finger on it. So I'm acting with him. We're in all these scenes together. And it's going really well. It's flowing. And they added me into several other scenes. Like, hey, we need you to add lib in this scene and do this. And so I ended up being in several more scenes that I wasn't supposed to be in. Anyways, at the very end, everyone's shaking hands. We're getting pictures with each other. Everyone's going to him. Like, oh, man, they wanted a picture with him. And then somebody said, man, I used to love you, man, on the Parkers. And then it registered. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy from the Parkers. And I was so glad I didn't recognize him because, Jay, I would have been shook if I was trying to act with this professional that I didn't know. And um, but, yeah, it was really cool, man. So Dorian Wilson, man, is, is good, is good people. So it's, it's, it was fun. A lot of fun. Now that you got the acting bug. Are we going to see some crossover church? Because I see y'all do some y'all do some little productions now. I see some of these uh, vignettes you do on stage. Could that be in the future? I mean, we got, look, you got, you guys are running a lot of things. I mean, you got, you're still doing the music, the t-shirts. I mean, you, you got a clothing line. You got all these things going on and now the coffee shop. So that, I mean, I want you to talk about that too, because that, that's the way, like, I, I just wanted people to, to, to know that people have this gift of like being able to take something, resources that are kind of already in front of them and remix them into something that's better for everybody that you probably wouldn't have thought of. So you have all this space and instead of just using it for just say, you know, church and the occasional event, 
you want to turn it into a community coffee center with, um, you know, with a drive through and, you know, and I just attended a dinner last week when you guys, you know, talking about, um, you know, putting together fundraisers with small business and all this and that. Let's, okay. So let's, let's say five years from now, right? What do you see crossover church into impact on the community, more media, more, more street presence? Like what, what vision do you see, say, five years from now for, for the church when when all these things have kind of come to fruition? You know, the acting. So I know you're new to the church. Over the last couple of years, like right before the pandemic, we did two major productions that were a huge success. Um, the first year we did the Hip Hop Nutcracker, and we just promoted it on social media, put it on Ventbrite. So we made people get tickets, even though all the tickets were free. We sold out five shows. And I mean, it was thousands of people that ended up coming. It was crazy. And it was around Christmas time. So a lot of people were looking for a production. And the crazy thing is like over the course of a year, our church will see about a thousand first time guests. Like that year, it was 2018. We had about a thousand first time visitors that came through the door that filled out a form and actually went to the visitor table and we connected with them and gave them a gift. And that weekend that we did the hip hop nutcracker, because we did it on Saturday and for the church services on Sunday, uh, we had over a thousand first time guests that never had been to our church before. And there's a bunch of people that are in our church today that first came because they came to the hip hop nutcracker. I want and, I wanted to say one thing. Sure. Just that I can attest to. So the first, the first time I went to your church was a referral from a friend and two things. Number one, I think every church should have a DJ because <laughs> I felt like I was in, I was in, um, uh, what do you call it? The Russell Simmons, Jeff jam, but you know, the Christian version when I came in and yeah. then, you know, you're producing these music videos for like the city that you represent. So like all that, like just coming in from the street first time, like, I was like, man, this is, they got some stuff going on here for a church. You know, like I'm, yeah, it wasn't typical. So I will say that you guys and Easter, you got people rapping on the roof and drones flying. And it yeah. was, like, it was, it was, a, it was a lot. And um, for anybody who's, um, I mean, you, okay. So you're an entertainer. Like there's no two ways of like putting that. There are some people that are like, you know, there's fire and brimstone and there's, there's, there's these, these yeah. people that just the personality you got Billy Graham and they're just born to preach, but like you guys really entertain the, with the word, which is really, you know, I can see why, you know, like the, the church is growing and it's big and it's well-established in the community. So I just wanted to say that. So Nutcracker, Nutcracker, hip hop Nutcracker. And then what was the other production that y'all had? Going yeah, so I'll just make this note about entertainers. So uh, to entertain is to captivate and capture somebody's attention. So I, I'm, a, I'm a minister, not an entertainer, but I will entertain you because I want to captivate your attention and point it to Christ. And so, yeah, so we're going to use things that are going to be um, engaging and they're going to grab your attention. They're going to stick. You're going to remember it as we're teaching you the word and biblical principles. So the, the second production we did was called The Wiz. So you, you remember like it was the urban version of The Wizard of Oz. So we did The Wiz with a kind of a Christmas twist to it. And we had about 75 people involved in that. I mean, between people that made costumes, makeup artists, set designers, um, dancers, singers, actors, rappers. I mean, it was just, and everybody was from the church, all 75 people. And so we have so much talent. And I think being that I'm an artist, obviously I attract artists, but I also realize like art will tell a message. And that's the way a lot of people learn. And so, you know, 
we give a platform for artists because a lot of churches don't do that. So a lot of, or they don't stay, you know, connect. Yeah. So we're always trying to find ways to give people a platform, not just artists, but anybody, whatever, whatever way that they're wired, we want to help you find your sweet spot and how you can be part of the family of God and, and serve. And so, yeah. So in the future, man, we, we want to do more productions like that. We've got so much talent. We have a studio. We'd like to do a documentary in the future. Would we, you know, maybe we've thought, thought about movie stuff before, you know, we got the right, the right team. I can't do everything. There's got to be some other people on the team that, you know, that's their, their sweet spot and their strength. And so we'll see when God brings that, that right person along. And then as for the coffee shop, you know, we envision like our church as being a big community hub where there's just a buzz of activity all week long. There's college students there hanging out. There's business people. There's entrepreneurs having meetings um, where there's going to be a private room under the coffee shop. It's like a two level area where in that room there's, you know, we're doing classes for entrepreneurs. We're, you know, making that space available for other people to have meetings and just, you know, we're creating jobs, we're creating economic impact. And, and so we're just excited about it because people are going to walk through the doors for a cup of coffee and they're going to experience, you know, this something different. What is that? That's, that's the love of God, you know, and I believe that that's going to draw many people in as well. So, uh, so yeah, we're excited about that. I, the, the neighborhood that we're in is an innovation district. And so I get to sit on the advisory board and I'm a part of that. And so as a you know, we want to make sure that gentrification doesn't push everybody out, but gives those people opportunities to stay and level up. And uh, we feel like we're called to be planted in the community to help bring that balance. And, uh, you know, our church is multi, multi-class, multi-economic. So we've got people that, you know, Easter Sunday when you were there, there was people, there were some people driving up in a Bentley and there was other people walking and riding their bike to church. And there was everything in between. So, but you know, some of those people that are in a lower economic bracket, they usually don't get to rub shoulders with people um, that have made it and to get around some other people that are making it and can help them and pour into them and kind of the organic environment that's there. And we want to continue to feed into that and just help everybody level up and win and become everything God's called them to be. That's awesome. It's a, it's a great vision. And I even, you know, you got so much space. I mean, you could probably hold music and acting classes there, you know, during the days and, and and probably get even more people involved because you already have a place for these people to express their, their artistic inclinations. You got, you got art on all the walls, you got music everywhere, you got yeah, clothing. There's, it's, it's, it really feels like almost like they have them in the Northeast. They're, they're kind of like collaboratives where you'll go and there's just like a lot of artists doing different things, painting, cutting hair, whatever, and all these different sections and it's all this activity going on. But, you know, it's, it's, it's united by like this spirit of just art artistry, right? Your so your daughters, does any entrepreneurship run in your family? Like are any of them doing anything like, you know, yeah. I, I think I've seen one, the older one, how's all this affecting them as far as like what, you know, the path they want to take? Every kid isn't wired the same way. So my oldest She's not, she doesn't really have, she doesn't have that entrepreneur thing in her yet. I mean, maybe it's there somewhere, but I haven't seen a whole lot of it yet. She is working now and um, she's been working now for over a year. She was at Chick-fil-A and now she's working as a lifeguard. But my younger daughter, on the other hand, she definitely has a little bit of that entrepreneurial hustle. She sold some stuff online. She helped her start a, a, a dog walking business. So in the neighborhood, she works with a couple of families and takes care of their pets and gets paid a little something. And she's 14. You know, she's been doing this for a couple of years. 
So she tries to find little ways to make money. And she's always like, even from dad, could you have anything I can do for you? And sometimes I'll recently I had her making a bunch of packages for me for like books <laughs> because I had a funnel for my love our city book where people are able to get the book. And, and I was selling quite a few of them online. And so she was, um, I'm like, I need you to make me packages. So she was, you know, putting them all together and I'm, you know, I'm cash apping her some money to put it together. And she's all excited about that. So she definitely has that, that entrepreneur like hustle in her and she's trying to, you know, figure out what's next, but she's, you know, she's only 14. She's looking into all that. And my oldest daughter, she does have a little bit of music stuff in her. And I know you, you said I was the music dad. So I included, I included her in some of my music stuff and she sang on a few of my albums here and there. And uh, on my latest album, which is called Love Our City, uh, we did a song where she sang on the hook of it. Yeah, that's the logo right there. I got a Yeah, baby. So she sang on it and she's been able to travel with me to a few different places on some trips out of town to basically um, sing the hook and help run my merch table. And, you know, she loves it, staying in a hotel and traveling and taking pictures on Instagram and Snapchat and showing her friends. Like I just went with my dad to Chicago and I just went with my dad, you know, to this concert here and there. And so, so yeah, so we've had some some fun moments and some memories that we've made. I always try to include them. My other daughter, uh, so they get to they love to travel with dad, and I, I get to do that occasionally when it lines up with their school schedule. You know, so it sounds like you got a future manager and a future artist on your hands, which isn't a bad combination for yeah, there you go. family. Yeah. Um, so what does your daily routine look like with all this you got going on with the kids? I mean, you don't have the same amount of chaos that I got, but have children, but you have sheep and you have a lot of people that you're responsible for on a daily, yeah. uh, mostly daily basis. So like, what is that like for you to clock in, so to speak, and then, you know, in, you know, put, uh, pour into people and then still come home and take time with your daughters and your family? Like, you know, tell us about that a little bit. My life is definitely busy, but you got to put some boundaries in place. And one thing I learned years ago was I got to take a Sabbath, you know, a day off. God wired us to work six days and then rest one day. So whatever day that is for you, you know, some people are like, oh, it's got to be Saturday or they, people argue about the Sabbath. Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? Listen, my Sabbath is Monday. It's definitely not Sunday. I'm working. <laughs> you know, I'm preaching three services. I'm ministering to people. I'm, I'm like wiped out after I do all that. I love it. But, you know, it's it, it's emotionally and physically it takes it out of you. So Mondays, I take the day off and, and our staff does. And I've, I've implemented that. Like Monday, we all rest. We have a long day Sunday doing multiple services, ministering. We want you guys to stay healthy. And so Mondays is is um, a sacred day. I, don't, I, I rarely, rarely ever, unless it's an emergency, um, take like a meeting on Monday or go do a hospital visit every once in a while. You know, I do. But I, I really try to protect my Mondays and um, make that a day where I can just rest. And I usually pick up my daughters from school that day. And uh, sometimes we'll hang out. We usually do a family meeting on Monday nights and, and just connect with each other. Sometimes we'll play some games. Sometimes I'll take one of my daughters on a date, you know, on Mondays, um, depending on what everybody's schedule is. But then uh, Tuesday through Friday, man, I'm going hard, bro. <laughs> it's It's, you know. And, and we don't start super early. You know, I usually go into the office around uh, between nine and 10. Um, but then I'm usually there till six or seven. And then obviously on uh, Wednesdays, we have Bible study that night. So I'm not leaving the church till after nine. And then sometimes there's extra meetings. Like, you know, last week you were at the 
you were out there. We had a, a fundraising event for the coffee shop on Thursday night. Didn't leave till like 1030. And then Friday night, we had a volunteers. We had a volunteer party, a 90s party. And so we all broke out our 90s gear and there was over 100 volunteers that came. We had a big party and we had food and it was a lot of fun. But it was two days that were really long right in a row. So Saturday, man, I was just like, you know, I was trying to rest up for Sunday. And Saturdays we generally have off. But I mean, probably at least once or twice a month, there is some stuff on Saturdays that we're doing, you know, with the church. You know, there is some Saturdays we're free. And then pre-pandemic, you know, I, I would travel a couple times a month and usually at least one of those times would be one of the weekends. So usually two, three nights a month, or maybe four months, four nights at the most, I'd be sleeping in, in a bed in a hotel somewhere because I'm speaking at a conference or another church. And, uh, you know, sometimes my kids will come with me or one of my kids will come with me each time. Sometimes my wife will come with me. Um, sometimes I'll even take, uh, you know, another person from the church with me on those trips, depending if they, you know, if they fly two people in or, you know, but, um, so yeah, my schedule's busy, but I'm doing this a long time. So I, I try to manage it well. I'm high capacity. When I travel, I actually get a lot done on planes because there's my phone doesn't work. And so on the plane, man, I knock out a bunch of emails. I can't send them. I never buy the email package because I don't want to I don't buy the Wi-Fi package. I just I don't I don't want to get online. I don't want to answer emails in real time. I'm just answering old emails. I'm writing songs. I'm writing sermons. I'm you know working on maybe writing my next book on the plane. And so I get some of my best work done on the plane. And then I can sleep on planes too. I'm a good sleeper on planes if I need to catch a quick nap. Busy. It's a busy life, but it doesn't feel busy all the time because I'm doing what I love. And when you're doing what you love, man. You know, it's it fuels you and uh, doesn't feel like work. So Rick, with the kids, right? So entrepreneurs, dad, entrepreneurs, dadpreneurs, however you want to put it. You know, we got business life, which you just explained is pretty busy life. Your business is, uh, you know, fisher of men. Um, you know, everybody has their different business. As far as the children go, like, what do you think is your dad's superpower with your children? Able to be relatable to them. And, you know, I know that they they really, they look up to me and what I do. You know, I, my daughters really do think I'm, I'm I'm pretty cool most of the time. Like, for instance, a couple of years ago, before we got our, our youth pastor uh, that we currently had, we were in between pastors and we really... We had no youth leaders in our youth ministry that were capable of getting up front and really running things Um, because the guy that was running our youth ministry, his dad had passed away. And so he had to immediately like move to Atlanta. And so it happened so fast that we weren't able to find somebody quick enough. So I told our our staff and our our church leadership team, like, listen, guys, I'm going to have to step back there. I have not been in youth ministry in forever, but I know I'm still relevant to kids and teenagers like me. And, you know, I can relate and connect in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to step back there. And so, you know, and so then everyone was like, all right, you're right. So I was back there for about six months um, on Wednesday nights leading the youth ministry and I actually doubled in size. We had double the amount of kids coming, double the amount of leaders. I mean, it really was, it was in a healthy place for when the new youth pastor came. But my point is, is my girls, they were both back there. And, you know, most teenage teenagers will be like, I don't want my dad coming back here. I don't want my dad to run this. And they were excited that I was back there because they knew all the kids liked me and it almost like gave them like some cool points and they loved that I was back there. And 
So to me, that really spoke volumes of like, wow, because, you know, because they know I connect with the kids and I connect with them and I'm interesting and I keep everybody's attention and, and the youth ministry has actually, you know, gotten even better now. And so, you know, so I think that's one of my, I guess, one of my superpowers. Not every dad raps and is cool and has a tight sneaker game. <laughs> when you get up on stage and all the kids are like, I wish I could get them them J's or whatever you got on. Pretty good sneaker game. But I will say this, almost all of my sneakers now, they were all given to me because people see me rocking sneakers and they think it's so cool. And like people buy me sneakers. Like every year I get at least two or three pairs of sneakers that people wow. from the church buy me. Or when I go travel and speak somewhere, this has happened to me at least three or four times in the last few years where like they'll give me a pair of Jordans for coming to preach at their church. They'll give me a pair of Jordans. Like they'll be sitting, it'll be a surprise. Like I'll get to my hotel room after I smoke that night and I'll have a gift basket and a, a, a Jordan box on my bed. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh. Wow. Maybe you could be their next, uh, their next influencer spokesmodel. Like if people just keep gifting you with Nikes instead of, uh, instead like, of listen, man, I'll, I'll preach for sneakers. Like, Hey, <laughs> corners we'll, we'll preach for kicks what do you think your like your dad kryptonite is with your kids so what what do they get and because they're girls i mean you know yeah. they're always going to have that extra that leniency on certain things so what do you think your kryptonite is with with them you know they can melt your heart with different things and you know they try to get over on you and you'd see it coming you know but then sometimes you just like you just and so yeah sometimes they're able to get away with stuff with me more than their mom their mom is sometimes the one that's a little more, you know, disciplined. And not that I'm trying to be the cool dad, but at the same time, like, yeah, my wife is definitely the one that's more strict. She's Boricua. She's like, no, we're not doing that. And I'm like, well, babe, you know, maybe we could, you know, compromise a little bit. And she's just like, boom, no. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, and we've learned to get better at it, but sometimes they'll try to pit you know, like kids do, they're trying to pit each other against, they'll come in and be like, you know, hey, uh, mom, dad said that we could, you know, and then my wife comes in like, did you say that? I'm like, no, I didn't really say that. I didn't, what I said was, you know. They, they set you up, that's for sure. They, they do, bro, they do. But, uh, you know, they're not doing that as much, as much to us now as they used to. I don't know how often it happens now, but when you get angry with the kids, how do you handle that? Thank God, we're not the kind of house where there's a lot of yelling or drama happening, but there's definitely moments that, that we get disappointed in some of the decisions that our kids make, or, you know, whether that deals with them getting their homework done or some of their grades slacking, or, you know, them saying they were going to clean something up and they just didn't. And so, you know, that can definitely be challenging, but, you know, we, what we try to do is we try to, you know, discipline them in, in ways that, you know, we don't spank them or anything anymore, <laughs> but we try to take things away, you know, so there's consequences and they know there's going to be consequences that whether we take away their computer from them or, you know, even their phone for a period of time. And, uh, you know, that, that, that rocks without technology, man, these kids get rocked, bro. Like what did we do back in the day? Right. <laughs> but that definitely rocks them. And um, so we always try to find those ways um, to have, you know, the consequences, but then the real conversation, this is why we're doing this. We love you. We care about you. You might be mad at us right now. You might hate us right now, but you're going to see later that we did this because we care about you and the decisions that you're making, this pattern that you have in this certain area, um, it's going to lead you. So you're not going to be successful. We want to see you win because we, we care about you. And so, you know, 
sometimes they're teenagers. They don't, they don't care. They don't get it. Then there's other times they'll come back to us later and be like, I know you care about us. I, I know that you love me and I know I'm going to work on this. You're right. You know, uh, we don't always get those, 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 t- those, uh, I know you're right things that often. Right. But every once in a while and some of that will come later, you know, when they're all grown up and they have kids and they come back and be like, did I used to act like this? Yep. Cause we used to act like that with our, with our parents too, you know, comes full circle. So I'm grinning because you said your wife was Boricua. Then you said we don't yell, which I was like, really? <laughs> Cause I don't, I mean that, ha- that you know, not for nothing, but in she doesn't she doesn't yell as much as she does. I've kind of helped I've helped bring a little bit of calmate, calmate. You know, a little bit of calm and peace. That that comes out and sometimes, you know, while we're driving even. So it's like you know, you got a better handle it than than some of us, I guess. It's been a minute, bro. We've been married 25 years, so <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, sometimes that lasts a lot of years too. But uh, you know, we all got our struggles and our and our ways of dealing with it. And the younger ones, there's a lot of noise already going on, so you kind of got to get above it. What's one like weird or strange things that weird thing that people don't know about you? The pastor that wears sneakers all the time and wraps and all that stuff, and you know, so I dress very casual generally, you know. Um, but back when I was in high school and college. I was actually a suit salesman and I sold suits and I wore a suit, a three piece suit to work every day, ties. And I mean, I had several suits and I was helping like men pick out suits and I was on commission and uh, I was making good money for back then. I mean, this is like back in the early nineties, I was making like $15 an hour a lot of times, even 20 sometimes because I, you know, they would have a special uh, sale on suits and people be coming in, man, I'll be selling suits left and right. And uh, I knew how to do alterations uh, to where you measure, you know, measure people for the alterations with the suits and stuff. And yeah, so um, and I really enjoyed it, actually. I really liked retail. But it's funny because I'm not I'm, I mean, I'm not traditional pastors and older pastors. They wear suits, you know, all the time. And uh, that was just that was never me. That was my dad for the most part. You know, that his generation, that's what they did. The drip has definitely changed for the stage. What is one question that you might be tired of people asking you? The one thing that does irk me is when people come back and ask me, like, why is my life a mess? Or why is my life still? Why do I, why do I still have this problem in my marriage? Or why is my finances still like this? When I already met with them and we talked about it and I gave you like three action steps and then I ask you, so did you do A, B and C? And they're like, well, nah, well, well, you know, I didn't have time or I didn't get around to it yet. And I'm like, why are you coming back to me and asking me right now? Because you didn't do any work. Like, of course, things are still going to be the same. You know, so it's like it's like the definition of insanity. Right. You do the same thing, but expect different results. And over the years as a pastor, man, there's so many people that will give advice to and spend time with sometimes hours and hours. And, you know, they're calling you for an emergency and they need this and that. And they want you to pray for them. And then, you know, you give them some action steps and they just don't do it. They don't do the work. And then, you know, if you put some correction on them or challenge them, then sometimes they flip on you like, oh, why are you judging me? <laughs> like, like really, like you 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 asked to be accountable to me. You told me to hold you accountable. Now I'm holding you accountable because you're not doing the things that you should be doing. 
and that you said you were going to do and that you want to do to get better. And now you're going to be mad at me like I'm the bad guy. I, I would be the bad guy if I didn't tell you because then I wouldn't really care about you. I want to see you get better and win. So those are the things that that irk me, bro. <laughs> when, you know, and the people want to blame it on you. Like, oh, you're just Jason. You're so judgmental, man. That's why I don't want to hang around with you anymore. Oh, no, it's I'm gonna tell you the truth. <laughs> it's easy for you. You don't understand, like okay, uh, that, right? Like you don't understand. No, I understand. You just you didn't take step one, so you're not going to get anywhere. How about a question that you wish people would ask you, but they never do? You know, I, I mean, I guess I'm stumped on that one because people do ask me a lot of questions that that I do wish they would ask. They they do regularly. So there isn't like one that sticks out in my head that's like, oh man, I wish people would ask more about this. Our church, a lot of people are asking, you know, the right questions. I guess maybe I would I would flip that and say, what leaders, what what I would I would want leaders to ask me, you know, because that's different. So when I say leaders, I mean even like pastors and church leaders, because I do a lot of coaching and consulting for for pastors. And uh, you know, a lot of times I just wish pastors would ask more questions, even about how do you reach new people? What are engaging ways to, to connect with your community? And, and I think there's so many pastors and church leaders that they're not even thinking like that. They're so concerned with what's inside of the four walls, you know, that they're not thinking about, well, the greater mission of the church is to share the good news, the gospel with, with the world. And, um, and, and I think a lot of leaders are not always asking those questions. They're just trying to maintain the aquarium, you know, instead of going fishing outside of there. So, yeah, so that would be my my pet peeve, I guess. I'll flip it and say for leaders, church leaders. Yeah, that that's something that my pop used to get irked about. Why do you why do you have me here if when I tell you guys we need to be out in these streets, nobody wants to go out in these streets? And they're like, why are we not growing? Why don't we have any young people? What you know? Why is this stale? Why does it feel like we're running in place? It's like, because you're not doing anything more than sitting there and listening. You're not doing anything with it. So I've heard him, he didn't express it exactly like that, but I've heard him talk about that as a bothered him, which actually caused him to move because he felt like if, if I'm not, if I can't inspire you to do this and follow me and do the things that you say you, you say you want, then why am I here? You, you know, there's only so much I can do. And if you're not willing to follow me to do it, then I might as well go somewhere else. And, you know, and then he just downsized and now he loves what he does. So, you know, sometimes a big church is not what people need. It's a small church of, of hungry, you know, hungry action takers versus a big old church full of, you know, sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wonder why, why the world's changing around you. And you can't do anything to affect it. You mentioned coaching. Do you do anything like masterminds among pastors? Like, like with entrepreneurs, there's like masterminds for like business and things like that. Well, I, I do a monthly a monthly thing, the Innovative Pastors Network. And so there's a couple dozen pastors that are part of it. And it's funny because I have my computer on a box right now. <laughs> but this is one of the products I've created that goes along with it. And there's actually a box kit, it's an innovation box. And inside of here, I include... It's got a really dope design. This is my designer I was telling you about. They used to do the hip-hop album covers. He makes boxes for me now, baby. <laughs> so here's the other box. There's two boxes here. This is the Love Our City box, the leader's kit for that. And those are all the different pieces that are inside of it. So anyways, 
But uh, so with I, I just mailed one of these out today, the innovation box, because uh, somebody new signed up for it. I do a, a live Zoom call with everybody that's part of it. And then there's a number of resources that I send them physically and digitally on a regular basis. And they have access to watch the replays. But um, I was really I, I coached them along with like, here's real a real innovative thing right now that's working in real time during the pandemic or, you know, now coming out of the pandemic because um, pastors need fresh ideas right now. And we have a lot of creative minds, not just myself, but some of our team is really creative. And during the pandemic, our church has actually thrived and we've grown in, in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, that's not the story for most churches. So we just want to share that information with other pastors and teach them, hey, here's some of the things we're doing with, in this area and this area and with social media and with our stream and with discipleship and, you know, with outreach and, you know, how, all that looks different right now. And so it's been really helpful for a bunch of pastors. And for me, like, I don't even do it for the money because I don't charge a whole lot, but it's a, it's a little stream of income uh, for that particular thing. But I do it because I really want to see other churches win. And I love it when I see pastors implement some of the ideas and customize it, make it their own and make it even better. Sometimes, oh man, I didn't even think about doing it that way. That's great. I'm going to steal that, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, I do that monthly. And then um, I've created several different courses uh, for pastors and church leaders. And there's some courses for just, uh, you know, regular people as well. And so, yeah, there, there you go. Loveourcitybook.com. That's uh, about the 30-day devotional book and the Love Our City like serving program. You're, you're modeling the shirt uh, right there, Jason Vanna White. And then, yeah, I created some online courses on my other website. It's called translationleadership.com. And uh, that's mostly for leaders, but there's a couple of courses on there for regular regular everyday people as well. So, uh, so yeah, I've, I've become a course creator during the pandemic. But I was doing coaching for over the past 10 years. And uh, in cohorts, basically, I would do like a six month cohort and walk them through a curriculum. And there used to be about 10 to 12 people. And I would close it. But uh, now with this ongoing coaching thing, it's just ongoing. And you can jump in at any time or jump out. And um, it's growing. There's a few more people, you know, jumping in every month. And so it's going to kind of just be like a, an ongoing thing. And I, and, I, and I like it because I'm teaching on something new and exciting like every month. And I have guests on. Like about every other month, I have a guest on that'll share some innovative stuff that they're doing at their church as well. Is that, and that's one of your like two podcasts, right? I mean, you have two, right? Yeah, no, I have a podcast. Uh, the Coaching Network is something that is a private thing. Like mm-hmm. you have to sign up for it. It's um, it's like a paid subscription. It's it's not expensive. It's twenty nine bucks a month. It's, it's not gonna, you know, but it's a little skin in the game. So then, you know, you actually show up because you know when you do free training. Because you mentioned that, what's, I guess, what's like one key piece of advice you would give to pastor entrepreneurs that are coming up in the game that, you know, they, they might have some of this hustle trying to look for a little guidance that what would, what would you tell one of those people just kind of coming up? Like you should really, if you're going to go down this route, are you going to be an entrepreneur? You know, there's, there's a big wide world about, what would you start them with? What would you say? Like, start here. I would say, first of all, I'm a pastor, so I'm, I'm going to get on the spiritual side first, like pray about what God has you to really do, like what's going to be your lane entrepreneurially, because there's a lot of different directions you could go. And so for me, when I first, you know, started on that journey, I tried a bunch of different things. You know, people were coming to me with different ideas and I'm like, oh, maybe this can be the answer. Like, for instance, you know, there were some MLMs that I got into like 
this is like over 20 years ago, right? But thinking like, oh, maybe this could be the answer. And I felt God saying to me like, nah, you know, don't mess with that. What I want you to do is focus on your music and your resources and I'm going to bless that. And so that's what I did. You know, I bet the bag on myself (laughs) and because that's what God told me. And so you know, for me, my lane has been music and then now it's speaking and now it's writing books. Music isn't as much anymore. It's a tool in my tool belt, but now it's more so books and instructing and coaching. And so that that's my lane and it fits together so well with what I do. Not saying you couldn't do other stuff. So you have to pray about it. Maybe you'll be a pastor or a church leader and you're going to be involved in real estate investing, trading, or that's going to work for you. But you just have to pray about it and ask God, like, what, what's my sweet spot? What's going to be something that's not going to distract me too much or take away from what my main thing is? You know, and I believe that over the years, there's been many doors, even with my music, Jay, there's been times where it was about to go through the roof. And God kind of held it down because if it would have went through the roof, I might not be a crossover today, you know, in my earlier years. Or if there would have been some opportunity, like, I don't know, maybe it would have gotten so big and I would have been like, you know, maybe my season is over a crossover. I need to go after this now, you know, and there's been times where God's told me to like stop doing something or no, don't go to that level or God would just close the door. And I look back at it now and I'm like, okay, I see why he did that because I, I, you know, and at the time the church was much smaller and didn't have the kind of reach and impact it does now or influence. Now, as I look at it, I'm like, man, I'm so glad God kept me here on this track. And I've been able to, you know, be here for all these years and help shape what our church has become. And it's not a perfect church. There's no perfect church, but it's really a special place. People are coming to Jesus. It's multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational. It's big on the arts, big on outreach, big on teaching God's word in a way that really sticks people's minds and they can apply it. It's just, you know, it's a special place and God's doing special stuff and reaching people that a lot of people that wouldn't normally be reached in a traditional church. And so, you know, I could have missed that if my side hustle would have gotten, you know, too big. And so I thank God he always kind of kept it just where it needed to be. So I kept the main thing, the main thing. So that's that would be my last piece of advice. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And your side hustle should complement what you do as your main hustle. Got it. So what you got for us, brother? The dad joke. You know, I, I'm a meat eater. What do you call two vegans that are fighting? Beef. Nice. Impossible burger. <laughs> How do you make holy water? Uh, I heard this one. You're going you're gonna to say a bad word. It's not a bad word. You say it in church, you boil the hell out of it. (laughs) Hey, all you entrepreneurs and dadpreneurs. I just wanted to say thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel for past episodes. Show me some love on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really want to be a guest on my show, no problem. Just email the dadnextdoortv at gmail.com and we'll take care of you. All the information you need is on the show notes of this episode. This is Jason, a.k.a. The Dad Next Door, signing out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.